Well, good morning. Good to be with you. Thank you for being here for the first day in this building, officially. Pretty excited about that. And thank you, Miguel and worship team, for all the hard work. In fact, if you were part of getting this building ready in small or big way, would you just stand up right now? Um, if you helped out with uh, some of the, I think they're all standing in the back. Yeah, please do. Yeah. If you came and helped. And keep standing, keep, keep standing. Um, and this is just a, uh, just a, a small uh, portion of all those who helped. We had just huge amounts of effort going into this to turn this around in just a very short notice time. Um, and I think it's really important, the first thing we do is really pray that God would would work in this place and that we would be dedicated to the Lord. So I'm going to invite all of you to stand, actually. And in a gesture symbolic of us just sort of dedicating this space, would you raise your hands if you're comfortable doing that? Let's just all raise our hands. And God, we want to thank you, first of all, for what you have given to Solano Church, for the purposes of ministry, for the work that you want to do in and through us. And we don't, we don't receive it lightly. We feel that there's a great sense of stewardship, and we want to honor you. We want to honor the legacy of 113 years that this church has been in existence. We want to carry forward that legacy as it pertains to the disciple-making and the raising up of servants and even the starting of new churches that were part of that legacy. We want to carry that forward. And we dedicate ourselves to you in this space to the consistent proclamation of the good news, which we call the gospel of Jesus Christ, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. We commit ourselves to your word and scripture. We commit ourselves to be uh, humble, to receive the, the Holy Spirit. We long for and ask that this would be a place that would be perpetually filled with the spirit as we're gathered here together. That You would pour out your spirit upon us. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus that makes that possible. We commit ourselves to, to loving one another as you prayed, Jesus, for us that we would be one. We want to commit ourselves in this place to loving one another well, to caring for one another, to listening to one another, to blessing one another, to knowing one another. And God, we want to commit ourselves to being salt and light in this community. Would you help us? through the overflow of your goodness to us, to spill out into this community with the good news of Jesus and the life with Jesus and the hope of eternity. That's our commitment, Lord. And we thank you that we can be hopeful, not because we get it right all the time, but because you are faithful and powerful. And it's in you that we place our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. That's important. Yeah, let's take a seat. Well, I thought it would be good for us to reflect just a moment on who we are. Um, we uh, have been 15 years as a church, Solano Community Church in Albany. Ten of those last years we were in the Ocean View School, elementary school. And that building is being torn down because it's old and decrepit and needs to be rebuilt. And we thought that we were going to be able to stay in the particular room where we meet. But then uh, we were told not too long ago that we needed to leave and we couldn't continue to stay there while the construction was happening. So an amazing crew was assembled to really transform this room and many other aspects of the building. At some point, I'm sure online or somewhere you'll see pictures if you didn't see it before. 
and uh, they've just done an incredible job, and so we're grateful for the energy. I think we're all a little bit bleary-eyed and sleepless coming in today, but we got it done, and so very exciting. Um, and this building was uh, housed Trinity Church for a number of years. It was, they, they moved in here in 1963. The, the church started in downtown Berkeley in 1906. They moved out here in 63, uh, and then a year and a half ago, Trinity merged with Solano. Uh, and so we've been together for that time. Now, interestingly, we have a deeper relationship in the sense that Trinity had planted a number of churches over the course of its history, and one of those churches then started Solano Community Church. So sort of in the, in the church uh, language, we say that Trinity is almost like our grandmother. So it's like coming home uh, to, when, we, when we come into this space. Um, so uh, as somebody said, they sent me the country song that says, I'm my own grandpa, you know, like... <laughs> So we're kind of living that out together today in this place. Um, and, and, and so many wonderful things about Trinity that we want to uphold and carry on um, as we have the, the privilege and the opportunity to be, uh, to be stewarding, really, this call that the Lord has on us for this place and this community. And I thought uh, I would put a few words down about what Solano Community Church is because it's at a moment like this when it's, it's good to remember who you are you know, you're in, a, you're in a different surrounding. I feel a little awkward this morning, like I'm used to the Ocean View School, and just feels different. I love it, but it's different, and it's going to take me a little bit to get used to it. So, so who are we? And for those of you who maybe are coming because you got the mailer, you're living in the community, and you're coming to visit, you know, you're probably wondering, who are these people that have just descended upon this building and uh, are here? Well, I want to tell you a little about who, who we are. So kind of on a superficial level, we're a young, multi-ethnic church that loves the urban college town environment of the East Bay and the diverse people who make it what it is. And this, this sort of is a little bit of a stream of consciousness that came to me uh, on Wednesday morning as I was just praying and, and thinking about who we are. And I just want to say, you know, if anything that I say in this causes you to want to maybe amen, then feel free to act on that urge, Okay. This is a place where we want to, you know, be enthusiastic about the things that we really believe in and, and love. So, so that's the first kind of soup. If you were asked somebody from the outside, that's what you'd say. But here, here's maybe to, more to the core. We love Jesus. Thank you. We believe that the account of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus is the best news in the world. We are laser focused on the inexhaustible task of exploring how this gospel impacts, shapes, and redeems every aspect of our individual and collective lives, from families to friends to work to rest to vision for our own lives, this one short life we've given. We are a training center. We believe God has gifted and called all of his children into fruitful service and that understanding and embracing that service results in the most fulfilling and meaningful life we can live. Yeah, amen. And we're about helping each other figure out what that looks like for each unique individual in this community. We're a spiritual hospital for people who are hurting and broken and trapped in the prison of sin. We believe that when we get really honest with ourselves, we see that we are all in a condition of spiritual need. God has work for us to do, but he also wants to heal us and bind up our wounds, shower us with his limitless forgiveness and grace. For those who've not yet experienced this healing touch from God, we want to be the kind of community people walk away from saying, I think God touched me today. This is for all people, no matter how bad or good, no matter your age, 
no matter your race or ethnicity, no matter your class, no matter how you identify yourself in any other way, if you are an image bearer, that's what the Bible calls human beings, image bearers. We bear the image of God. If you are an image bearer, the good news of Jesus Christ is for you. Amen. And lastly, we are a house of prayer and worship. We believe God wants to have an ongoing daily relationship with us, and prayer and worship are key means for that. This church is a place where people pray and worship together, learn how to pray and worship, have the fire of prayer and worship kindled within them. The great and beautiful serendipity is that as we lose ourselves in worship, we discover who we were each uniquely created to be. Amen? So that's a little bit of who we are. It's not everything, but it gets us in the right direction. And we hope that you will find family in this place, a connection to God, the light of the good news of Jesus Christ, and a spiritual bulwark to support you and strengthen you in the life that God's called you to live. And my charge this morning is to talk about the wise men. And so what they're really going to teach us is how do you, how do you move towards God? Uh, in, in relation to all that I've just said, how do we move towards God? That's really what the Magi are going to help us to think through this morning. So would you open up in your Bibles to Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Love for you to be able to follow along in the text Please don't be shy about grabbing a Bible. And in fact, would love for you to, if you don't have a Bible at home, take this Bible with you. It's, a, it's our gift to you um, because in it you will find words of life. When you're distraught, when you can't sleep at night, pull it off your bedstand and start reading and you will find words of life in this book. Well, I want to study some of these words of life together this, in the time that we have. Um, starting in chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, it's on page 471 in that Bible that we've just handed out. And this is about the birth of Jesus, and we're, we're looking in this series about the people who came to visit Jesus and the people surrounding the birth of Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men or magi from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. This mostly comes from Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, it's interesting. It says, shepherd my people Israel. But the magi, the wise men who are not Israelites, are being drawn to worship this baby, this child king. And it's, 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 a, it's a reminder that always from the very beginning of the Bible, God's intention was for all people, not, not just the Israelites, that through the Israelites, he would reach all people. And that covenant is being renewed here as the, the wise men who are not Israelites, are being drawn towards Jesus. Very important aspect. Because it means that we're, this is for us too. If we're not Jewish, this is for us. We're, all people are drawn. 
Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. In the time that we have, I want to talk to us a little bit about what it means to come towards Jesus. I want to think about why we would want to do that and how it happens, drawing some lessons from the Magi, the wise men. And then I have kind of an unexpected uh, element of the story at the end. So first of all, why? why? Why would we want to follow in the footsteps of the Magi and come towards Jesus? This is a question we have to answer uh, if we're going to embark on this journey. There's got to be a reason why. And I would suggest that one of the most important reasons is right there embedded in the text where we're told in verse 6 that this child has come to shepherd my people Israel. And of course, as I've said, it's not just my people, but it's my people and beyond. It's all people. This child has come to shepherd. This child is the expression of God in the world to shepherd you and to shepherd me. That's why you would want to follow in the footsteps of the Magi and to draw near to Jesus. Now, most of us don't have experience with shepherding. And so it's hard for us to imagine what does it mean when we think of God being our shepherd. And so let's just take a little bit of time to unpack that. Why would I want to get close to God? Why, why would I want to get close to God? Because God wants to be your shepherd. And what does that mean? Well, if we kind of draw on the Old Testament history of teaching about shepherding, um, we can understand a little bit more fully what it means for God to shepherd us and helps us to answer the question, do you want this? Do you want to come near Jesus to be shepherded? King David writes in a very famous psalm, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Kind of a heading for the psalm. What a beautiful statement. I shall not want. And then he goes to depict and to, to describe what it looks like to have God as your shepherd. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Isn't it beautiful that the first thing that God does when he shepherds us is he sort of addresses the inner chaos of our lives. He quiets us down. Can you imagine a, a shepherd with a sheep, you know, in, in, in lush pasture? That's the, the imagery that's there. And the sheep has its needs met and it's resting because it's protected by the shepherd. And it's, it's being fulfilled with the water that is nearby. And that's the image that we should start with when we think of God, the creator of the world, shepherding us uniquely and individually. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
I love that it starts there. Now, but it doesn't end there, right? We don't just want to sort of sit around and reflect all of our lives. We're, we're, we're built to do things. And so it goes on to say, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So, so God restores us in the quietness, but then he sends us out to do his work. That's what it means to be guided in a path by the shepherd, a path of righteousness for his namesake. In other words, God gives us things to do in the world that matter, that make a difference in the world. God gives us a purpose and a meaning. That's what it means to be shepherded, is to have purpose and meaning in your life. When God shepherds you, he gives you that. And when you serve the Lord, you end up doing things that have eternal significance. And, and I don't just mean this for the people who work in churches. We're all, all people who come to faith in Jesus Christ are ambassadors for Christ. We've been giving meaningful, purposeful work to do in the world that has eternal consequences. Now, when you set out on that work, sometimes it can be challenging. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes my, me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Um, he, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So when we set out on the journey to follow God in the call that he has for us in our lives, we're going to encounter some problems. We're going to hit some difficulties. And it says in the text that God is with us in this moment. That's what it means to be the shepherd. He will not leave us. That's what a shepherd does. He sticks with the sheep through all kinds of challenges and struggles. In fact, it says that he has a rod and a staff. And what are those for? Well, the rod would be used by the shepherd, the shepherd to guide the sheep. I don't know about you, but I need to be guided by somebody many times. I need somebody to guide me. And God is saying, look, I want to be your shepherd, and I want to guide you through life. That's his offer for you. I want to guide you through life. And when you need to grow, I'm going to correct you. And it might be a little difficult at times, but it's going to be for your good. But he also carries a staff. And what's a staff for? The staff is to beat off the nasty beasts that would come in to attack you. And so God, as your shepherd, is your protector. As you walk through the world, living out your calling, and you run into trouble, God is with you to protect you. The psalm goes on, just a couple of more things. We're answering the question, do you want God to be your shepherd? What does that mean? What does it look like? It says, he prepares a table for, well, David writes it like this, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. To be shepherded by God, now the metaphor is changing, is to be brought into fellowship with God at table. Now, we know that sitting at table with somebody is sort of the most intimate kind of fellowship. But it goes even one step beyond that. Not only are we invited, given a seat at the table with God, but it says that we are anointed. Now, this was for King David, but, but, but as we learn, Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of the, of the prophecy of the king, and we, as followers of Jesus, end up being in Christ. And so this is for us as well, that we're, we're given this anointing. Now, why would a guest be anointed at the table? Because they were deeply cherished and loved by the host. And so God not only opens a seat at the table for us, but it says we're anointed in his presence. In other words, it's a, it's a step to say that 
that, that you're important to me. It's not like, it's, it's like I don't just love you, but I like you, right? We use that phrase to communicate that we're not just doing this sort of perfunctory love, but we actually want you in our presence. That's what it means to be shepherded by God. And to, be, to have a cup that overflows means that, that our needs are met. Just like the psalm started off, I shall not want. My cup overflows. I have what I need. This is what it means to be shepherded by the living God. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's how the psalm finishes. It's a perfect summary for what's just been described. And so the question for us this morning, the question that all of us have to ask um, first in our just coming to God and then over and over again as we continue to walk with God, do we want God to be our shepherd? And if we want God to be our shepherd, then we need to come to Jesus because, because God is shepherding his people through the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the text is telling us in Matthew. And it's such a beautiful thing to see then how the Magi come to Jesus. And there's some lessons in there for us about how we might come to Jesus who is the expression of God in the world to shepherd us. Now, let's learn a few things from the way that the Magi come. Now, who are these Magi? Let me, let me tell you a little bit more about who they are. They are most likely intellectuals and mystics who are from the East, most likely from Babylon. They probably were upper class in the sense that they might have been counselors in the court. They were people who loved to study the scriptures. So they had discovered this, this concept in the Old Testament, the Jewish tradition, that there would be this king that would come. They're, they're, they're not Jews. They're a long ways away. But they just read the books of all the different uh, nations, and they, they discern what's happening, and they discern that there was to be a king. And so they were awaiting this king. So they used their brains to study and research what the world has to offer. But they also have kind of a spiritual side to them. They were constantly searching for what, what, what might be happening in the world, what God might be doing, or the gods, if they may, as they may have said it, might be doing in the world. And they stumble across, across this star, which is most likely kind of a supernatural star that, is, that they take as guidance. And so there's a mystical element to these magi as well. So they're both intellectual and mystical in their approach to discerning what is happening around them. And I think about the East Bay, I think about the Bay Area in general, I think, isn't that a great description of who we are in the Bay Area? We're intellectuals. But, but, but you see oftentimes when you're talking to people and that there's a spiritual side, there's a, there's a real acknowledgement that, that the intellect can't capture everything that's happening in our world. And so there's also a spiritual, mystical element to what's going on in this world. And I want to encourage you, if you're considering or you're moving towards Jesus, to appreciate both of those elements. Jesus was the most rational human being that ever lived. But he was also very spiritual. He's the most spiritual human being who ever lived. And there is, there is an, an element to this world that we live in that is hard to explain. It's mystical. And when we open ourselves um, to consider that God might be using supernatural uh, interventions or movements on his part to woo him to himself, then we open ourselves um, to that important element of the journey, which oftentimes is necessary uh, because we can't get there on just the intellect so often. 
So, so, so like, like these magi, we, our journey towards Jesus is both relational, excuse me, rational and mystical at the same time. And we want to combine both of those. It's at times long and stepwise. Now, now, sometimes in the Bible, you see people coming towards Jesus, and it's this radical transformation, a 180 that happens in a singular moment. But oftentimes, and, and, and I'm encouraged by this, you know, it's the journey of the Magi. It probably, it could have been up to two years before they actually got to see Jesus. He wasn't still in the major, manger when the wise men came. That's, that's a, a condensing of the storyline. Uh, likely, they had been traveling a long distance. They went to Jerusalem probably hung out there for a while, did some research, and then they ended up in Bethlehem, and they finally end up uh, with Jesus. And, and that actually matches so often our experience in journeying towards Jesus, that it's this long process that involves uh, all the, the elements of our origin story, our life, our ethnicity, our personality, our relationships. And somehow through all of that, God takes us on this, this, this progressive process of moving towards him. And, and I want to say to you who might be frustrated about how long it's taken, or, or maybe you've been walking in this way for a long time, and you, you, just, you just feel you wish you had that dramatic lightning bolt experience. I just want to say to you that it doesn't always work, it, work that way, and it's okay. That part of the wonder of knowing God is the unfolding mystery and the process of journeying towards him. In fact, we're going to be doing this for all eternity because God is infinite. And we'll be learning about God for all eternity. And there will be this endless serendipity that makes life dynamic and exciting for all eternity. It's hard to fathom. But we're on that journey already right now. Now, the, the Magi met with some opposition. Herod tried to, to, to kind of use them because what Herod was really concerned about is people worshiping a different king than him. He wanted to be worshipped. He didn't want anybody to give their allegiance to another king. And for those of us who are moving towards Jesus, it's inevitably the case that someone in our life is going to come along and be upset about our movement toward Jesus. You might have a family member who really looks down on you because you're thinking about becoming a Christian or because you're living out your Christian life. You might have a coworker who makes fun of you. You might have a fellow student. You might have a professor at school who makes fun of Christianity, um, and you just have to, you just have to not be um, sidetracked by those voices. And you see that in the Magi. They don't go back and tell Herod. They, they understand what's going on, and they go, and they do their thing. They go and worship Jesus, and they don't give their allegiance to Herod, and they don't make it so that anybody else is encouraged to do that too because Herod uh, obviously is going to, doesn't want this king to be around. So they met with opposition, and we can face opposition too. They, they completed the journey in a moment of decisiveness. I love the, the, the part in the passage that says they went into the house, and they gave of themselves in the house. They had these, these wonderful gifts that they gave to Jesus. But there's something about that moment that, that, that I find um, gives me pause. Why does it say they went into the house? Like, they, went, like they, they did all this journey, but then at the end, they had to go in the house, and they had to bend the knee. There's a decisive moment there, and it reminds me of what the New Testament talks about in respect to our coming to Jesus, that, that the way that we come to Jesus, that that final decisive moment is when we decide to put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's how we come. That's, that, that's going into the house 
when we finally decide to put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it's a beautiful moment. And, 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 and the whole journey to the house doesn't really mean anything until we go in, until we take that decisive step. Now, I want to encourage those of you who have not taken that step to take the step, even today. Today is a great day to take that step. And I want to encourage those of you who have aligned yourself with Jesus, perhaps over years and over decades, to continue stepping in faith towards Jesus. One of my favorite illustrations came when our children were young. We were in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We were going across a pedestrian bridge across the Susquehanna River. And the pedestrian bridge had a, a, an iron grate as a, a floor. So you could see the river rushing below. And our daughter, who was, was young, um, hadn't experienced something like this before. And so she stopped dead in her tracks right at the metal grate and looked through the grate to the rushing river below and wasn't going to step forward onto the bridge. And we all kept walking. And she looked at us, and, and then she sort of hesitantly stepped and then took another step, and she's starting to realize, oh, I can trust this bridge. I'm not going to fall through to the rushing torrent below and lose my life. And within moments, she's running and prancing up and down the bridge and jumping on the bridge and doing what she did, right, at that age. And what was it? It was, it was, it was a development of trust. And when we come to Jesus, it's like that. It's, it's this, this process of, of trusting learning the faithfulness of Jesus, trusting more, learning the faithfulness, trusting more, and it's this iterative process, and we keep growing in our trust as we see the faithfulness of God in the person of Jesus Christ for us in our lives. And so keep on entering into that decisive moment of faith where you trust God for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then lastly, what these magi teach us is about worship. They come and they bend the knee. And it's a very humbling thing for them to do. They were people of means. They were upper class. And here they are, probably in a very humble home, and they're bending the knee to Jesus. And what they're essentially doing, this is what worship is. Worship, worship is making Christ central in contrast to everything else. And the reason that we gather here every Sunday to worship is because when we leave this place, all the shiny objects of the world catch our eye and call our attention. And they, they beckon us to come and worship them and to reorient our lives around them. And coming to this place together and focusing on the word and singing the songs about Jesus reorients our lives and puts Jesus back in the center so that we can make decisions according to what's right, what's best for Jesus. Because what's best for Jesus is what's best for us in the long run. So worship is the culmination of the journey towards Christ. Now, where does this take place? And, and this is the unexpected bit. This is the amazing thing to me. For all the, the length of the journey that the Magi are on to come towards Jesus, just remember this. Jesus has come a lot further then you'll ever go towards him to come to you. That's what the scripture teaches. In Philippians 2, there's this beautiful statement. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. So when, when, when Christ took on human form, the journey from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm to inhabit this world was far greater than any journey we could ever take. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as much as you are moving towards Jesus, know that Jesus is moving all that much more towards you. That's the beautiful thing, because he loves you. He wants to move into your life. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we have this powerful statement. You think about the the, the wise men going into the house. Well, listen to this. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And now we're flipping it around. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking on the door. You don't have to travel thousands of miles, learn a new language, bring expensive gifts, outrun Herod. All you got to do is open the door and let Jesus in by faith. That's how we start a relationship with God, and that's how we continue our relationship with God. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't matter how much you screwed up this week, how much you, you messed up your relationships, how much you, you didn't do what you wanted to do, how much you struggled, how much... Uh, you suffered, um, Jesus is still there for you. Because remember, we, we talked about he, he'll, he'll never leave you. He's, he's there with you in the valley of the shadow of death. In everything, he is there with you. And he calls us into supper with him. That, he says, I'm going to come in, I'm going to sup with you. And this table represents that. Because fellowship around the table is the greatest kind of in- intimacy. And Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this covenant, is the new, this, this drink is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And in this first opportunity that we have to celebrate communion in this building together, I want to invite you to come with this in mind, that Jesus is pursuing you and wants to sup with you and has a place for you at the table. And his grace and his forgiveness is inexhaustible. Whatever your week was like, whatever your month was like, whatever your life has been like, it's okay. His grace is big enough to cover you and your sin and your failure and your brokenness and your hurt. And then I want to invite you, as we're starting off a new chapter in this place as a community, could we please endeavor to give that same kind of grace and forgiveness that Jesus gives to us one to another? That's what's going to make a church special and unique when when people love each other in the way that Jesus loves us.